Hello and welcome to Game Together, a cooperative podcast. I'm your host, Philip, and I'm here with my co-op partner, Nave. Each pod will play through a cooperative experience, then relate to you, the listener, if this game is the creme de la creme of co-op or something better off playing solo. So, Nave, we have a guest once again in the Game Together co-op studios. Would you like to introduce him? Yeah, this is my good friend. Uh, we met working in the fast food industry. And ever since we started talking about video games, we really hit it off. This is my friend, John Jones. What's going on, John? What's up, guys? So, John Jones, is that just like uh, Martian Manhunter? Uh, I think it's spelled pretty similar, actually. Nice, nice. It's like the MMA fighter, actually. It's spelled <laughs> identical to MMA fighter. Actually, I think Manhunter is spelled like Gene Jones. It's spelled like pretty odd. Like the French version? J-E-A-N? Yeah. All right, you want to ask him our uh, legendary co-op question? So every time we get a guest on, we have to ask them what their favorite co-op memories are. Because, you know, we are on a cooperative podcast. So what uh, sticks out to you whenever you think about co-op gaming? Uh, probably playing Nintendo uh, shit. The uh... the NES? No, the, uh, the, the 64. Uh, 64. Playing the N64 was one of my earliest memories. Playing anything co-op. The console was in my bedroom. So I got to play pretty much everything that came out that... I had interests in and the biggest thing co-op wise was 007 goldeneye playing at co-op with just friends that would come over and playing the different game modes it was pretty memorable as far as gaming goes being like 10 or 12 i remember when i had the n64 and i had a friend in elementary school who had the playstation and i would always make fun of him because the playstation only had two controller ports you had to buy like the the four-way jack multi-tap yeah or something yeah, yeah. the multi-tap yeah and uh but everyone would come over and play mario party at my house and i was like can't do this at your house huh like an idiot yeah my mom would have like pizza party get togethers for the neighborhood kids and we would play mario party or uh 007 goldeneye was the biggest thing because you could play custom modes and run around the map and play like golden gun mode or ob job hat mode where you just ran around and you threw out your hat and that was your one attack. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Just don't miss. Really getting some uh, pre-Halo 3 custom lobby vibes. Mm -hmm. All right. So as we are a gaming pod, we play games. So what games have you guys been playing recently besides our subject game, of course? Let's throw it to John first. Uh, I've just been doing a lot of mobile gaming based on my uh, work schedule. It's hard for me to get some time to sit down and console game or PC or anything that's going to take more than 15 or 20 minutes. So I've been playing the League of Legends mobile Wild Rift a lot. And I wasn't a big League player on the PC, but I did play a little with Austin. I think you as well, Philip. And I'm having like memories and flashbacks of playing it and remembering characters and comps, even though I didn't put a lot of time into it. It's actually pretty enjoyable, just kind of like nostalgia, remembering playing it for the short time that I did. Yeah, I actually enjoyed Wild Rift quite a bit as a less serious League of Legends playthrough. Mm-hmm. Like the same way I get with Pokemon Unite. Whereas whenever I play regular League, we've spent so much time training our skills, trying to be the best there ever was. Whenever you're playing with just like touch controls or Pokemon Unite controls, it's like, it's not as a big a deal. Like I don't get as worked up whenever my team is completely throwing everything sideways. I had a friend, Jack, I've brought him up a couple of times on the pod and he would play League Wild Rift with me occasionally. Me and him would just go bot lane. He'd play Marksman and I'd play support and we would just absolutely crush people. Like, you know, whenever you're a low level on this free to play game and 
it's like i was basically smurfing yeah you know what i mean like 100 percent. i couldn't help it because you know it resets your level and everything but i definitely was just crushing people with sona like i was 1v1ing marksmen and stuff being marksman is kind of strange on that with the touchscreen. Having to do skill shots. Yeah, especially in the audio attacks and stuff too, because sometimes the game is like, it takes the luxuries uh, uh, away from having a mouse. Like you're kind of vaguely telling it who to attack. Definitely. Yeah, I think when I played through the tutorial portion of it, it specifically said it will target the lowest health character, be it a minion, a uh, character, or a tower. It's going to prioritize that, and you had to do something to adjust that. All right, Nave, I'm looking at our list, and there was two games we had in common, and that is Hades. Yeah, Hades just came out on the uh, PlayStation 5 and the Xbox. It came to Game Pass Day 1. It is fucking phenomenal. I'm pretty sure I was looking on Twitter, and it said that for the next generation of consoles, it's the highest-rated game right now. And so, I mean, it probably I think it's a 93, and I think Demon Souls might have got... It was Demon Souls, I think, that got a 92. Or maybe it was Microsoft Flight Simulator. I don't know. One of those. Hades is uh, incredible. And, um, John, have you played Hades yet? I have not. It seems right on my alley, and I think I've marked it for download, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and play it. Well, there's no real, like, spoilers or anything. It's it's a roguelike. If you've ever played, like, Binding of Isaac or anything like that. I mean, I know, John, you played Enter the Gungeon, mm. which is very similar oh that's it yeah yeah enter the gungeon is great but uh hades is like it's got a lot of story it's almost like a visual novel mixed with a roguelike like a uh it's isometric so it's top down and you're just running through room after room and the cool thing about the game is that it's not entirely random usually you get to choose between one to three doors and you can see what's on the other side of the door because in roguelikes like the binding of isaac you're just getting bigger and bigger because they're giving you random buffs that change the way that your attacks work it's the same way in hades and you get different gods it's all based on the it's greek pantheon of gods right yes that's or my greek okay i just wanted to make sure i get them i get them confused but um the Greek pantheon of gods. So you you will get things like you'll have things like Poseidon and Athena and stuff like that. Just think of God of War, the original run through of God of War. All of those gods basically, and each one of them, uh, like Aphrodite, will give you the ability to make people weaker around you because they don't want to hurt you because they're attracted to you and stuff like that. It's really cool. Like if you do damage to them, it, they can uh, become charmed and fight for you. There's a lot of really fun and interesting different combinations that you get throughout the game uh did you want to talk about it philip i've been going on oh no you're you're good you're good so what got me about hades and this kind of goes back to wild rift almost whenever i was playing it i really favored the ranged weapons because there's i think six or seven different weapons you can choose from that completely change your play method of traversing this dungeon and i pretty much played it as solo adc the game or that's what it feels like you know (laughs) where I'm just marksmaning my way through with any ranged weapon. My favorite being the Captain America shield right now, which is boomerang sivir bounces all around the field. Usually you can get like a debuff on it, like Doom, which does a flat like 60 damage after one second of hitting. It's almost like bleed, but just on like a time and you don't have to like stack it up as in Dark Souls, which we're going to hit later. Mm. I love just like throwing that in and just kiting constantly. All in all, looks like a fantastic game. I can't wait to finish playing it. You were saying there's no spoilers, but like, I mean, I'm actively avoiding spoilers for this game because I don't know, like, who's the next boss going to be? Like right now I'm stuck on, to throw out a spoiler, uh, the Minotaur of the Labyrinth and the hero that goes with him. I don't remember his name. Adonidas or something? Uh, no, it's uh, 
it's uh hold on i got this because like every time i run into him i make a joke it's from hercules where he's like is like perseus oh. theseus a lot of yeses i think, I think it's, it's theseus. theseus yeah, yeah. is theseus in the minotaur like the one that was his enemy in the the minos whatever labyrinth i don't know the actual legend but it's a good game definitely check it out uh let's go right into nave's next game that i see right here uh, Splitgate. John's probably going to have something to say about Splitgate. Have you played Splitgate yeah. yet, Philip? Um, not yet. I haven't made it into a match. I have it installed. Could not connect to a server. Gave up. Yeah, the game is made by an indie studio. It's got a bunch of people from Halo, I'm pretty sure, that worked on like the gunplay and everything. Or maybe it was like the level design or something. But there's a very strong Halo vibe in the game to the point where most of the guns feel like Halo. There's a battle rifle that is a scoped assault rifle with a three round burst perfect and it's and it's very strong it's just like it's just like halo the game is identical to halo like almost in every way the way that they've been advertising it is it's halo crossed with portal because you can press l1 and r1 to shoot one portal and then shoot another portal and then you just like in the game portal from valve you can run around uh like flip through the portal or drop down and shoot out the other side it's very very interesting and it very it adds like a crazy dynamic like an unpredictability to your opponents but it's not like you can shoot a portal anywhere you want there's only specific surfaces you can shoot on just like in portal you can only shoot it on white surfaces in this game it's like a checkerboarded kind of mesh on the wall if you or the floor or the ceiling that you can do it really gives you the ability to kind of juke people out it has a really solid foundation underneath it of like the arena shooter aesthetic where everyone starts with the same weapons and you have to run to get the battle rifle or to get the uh spartan laser weapon like it's it's not spartan laser but it's it's something else i think it's just called the railgun railgun that's what it is yeah yeah it's so strong too i will say that i thought looking at the trailer and looking at some of the gameplay i really felt like it was a halo clone with a gimmicky ass portal vibe to try to get people who like portal and people who like play uh, halo to try to play the game together and as i'm playing it it feels like halo 100 percent. the anti-gravity jumping where Halo's known for kind of this free-fall jump, similar to what Fortnite does, but it's more iconic in Halo. Uh, when you jump, there's almost like a free-fall effect. And that's the first thing I noticed, and you do get a jump jet, but you still have the same gravity in this game. So mm-hmm. it's very similar to playing Halo when you would jump across a map or jump onto a launch pad and then scope in with your battle rifle or your sniper and pick people up yeah, as you're flying through the air, it feels identical to the Halo 2, Halo 3 era of multiplayer. Like, I used to always make those kind of jokes whenever I'd play Call of Duty or Battlefield, and someone would run around a corner and jump, and then I would aim for the head, but they jumped, so now I'm hitting them in their crotch, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I die, and I'm like, what the fuck, are we playing, are we playing Halo? Wrong head. Yeah, wrong head. <laughs> yeah, Halo jumping, yeah. But, um... Well, now the jumping is uh, Fortnite, so when I play... Uh, Call of Duty or something, and someone's jumping around the map. I call it Fortnite jumping, whereas it used to be Halo jumping because that was the mechanic that Halo built in. Whereas the more realistic shooters, your Battlefield and your Call of Duty, jumping doesn't really do anything. No, it's all about slides now. Mm-hmm. You got to do the slide. Drop shotting in the early games was the only way to get kills. Was to immediately drop to the ground. In the newer games, yeah. they nerfed it because the mechanic now is slower. It's not an instantaneous to the ground motion as it used to be in the earlier games. Oh, it would always aggravate me. Just wa- just walk into a room and see someone just immediately go prone and shoot you with a sniper rifle, and I'm just like, okay. 
I guess we're doing that. All well, right. the shotguns are the worst. You go around a corner and someone just drops at you right in the crotch with a shotgun. And because they're two inches from you, it's an insta-kill. That's classic Destiny. <laughs> the slide and shoot someone with a shotgun thing. So that was uh, Splitgate. Um, the other game I'm playing right now is Red Dead Redemption 2. I just re- I just re-downloaded it and started it. Um, my dad is visiting me probably for about a week or two. And so I'm like, that's enough time to probably be able to comfortably sit down and play Red Dead at like maybe one or two hours a day and probably get through it. And he really likes these like in detail, realistic, like gritty stories. So like Red Dead is one of the best stories I've ever played. I was listening to a podcast talking about Rockstar and it just really got me in the mood. I'm like, I really think it's been enough time since I've played the original RDR2 to uh, go back and revisit it and try to remember everything because it was probably a similar amount of time between Grand Theft Auto V. The game got re-released on the newer consoles and they got new achievements so that incentivizes me this time i'm just kind of playing it with my dad and he's watching he's like asking me questions and i'm like i can't answer these questions they're being they're purposefully ambiguous because later down the line they're going to be answered i don't want to spoil this stuff but um please tell me he asks you are you winning son at least once every hour or so no he definitely does walk in occasionally and go you doing good son and i just think (laughs) about that meme i know he's not asking about the game he's just asking if i feel fine or whatever but he's like just a generic question but it makes me think about the meme every single time it's a great meme i definitely want to pick up uh old uh cowboys too eventually i really like the first one i haven't played a new one yet yeah it's very beautiful i've never played them you should definitely play it. Play two first. The, the first one was really good. Uh, I would say play two first. Unfortunately, it has the the thing where if you go play two first and then play the first one, you're like, wow, this game's a lot worse. Because obviously wow. it's it's <laughs> it way newer. But um, the second game is a prequel to the first game. Like when I first played the first game, I was like, oh, I recognize this guy. Oh, I recognize this guy. And I, and it just spoiled everything. About halfway through the game, when I realized what was happening, because it's a prequel, I realized how everything's going to happen in the end of the game, just because I was familiar with the first game. Like, I started recognizing people and going, isn't that a bad guy? And then going, oh, no, he's a good guy because we're bad guys <laughs> or something, you know? It's, yeah. it's There's a lot of those moments in that game, and it's, 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 it's phenomenal. All right, so as we progress on out of games we've been playing, uh, let's take a quick break. And we're back. So for our game this week, uh, we actually finished it last night. And in the middle of it, we had to take a quick break while Nave ran to the store. And then I didn't see him for like two hours whenever he was supposed to come like right back. Yeah. So you want to tell me what happened, Nave? All right. So um, we all went grocery shopping. And by the time we got out, we had like like $350 worth of groceries, right? We were like stacking up. And Maddie couldn't find her car keys. They used to be like attached to our house keys, like on a key ring. And one day I threw them at her like down the stairs of our apartment and she did not catch them and it slammed oh, no. into the concrete broke the car key off so this car key's been like a separate entity for like a month and we've been meaning to get it fixed but we just never did well today's the day that we lost the or yesterday was the day that we lost the car keys while we had ice cream and milk and frozen chicken and all kinds of shit and it's like nine is like 80 degrees outside and so we're just sitting outside waiting for somebody because we're like the car key has to be inside the car right we left it in there well we wait for like 20 25 minutes for a locksmith guy to come out not a locksmith but you know the guy who pumps open the door and then uses a little wire hanger or whatever to pull the door open yes guy gets the door open and we look we tear that car to fucking pieces and that there's no key to be found so what i assume happened was it must have fallen through solid matter kind of similar to how uh, the portals and split gate work it yes. fell through a portal into a, an alternate dimension 
and uh, the key's gone forever. So unfortunately, the car is just sitting in the parking lot at the grocery store. We were going through our insurance to get a tow truck. About 20 minutes later, they still have not gotten back to us if they got a tow truck or not. So last ditch effort, both of our phones being at like 2%. We call my friend who promptly answers and comes and rescues us which was pretty awesome. Shout out to Christian from the uh, Destiny 2 and the Over or the Over Outriders. Yes. Outriders? Outriders. What a <laughs> Outriders bro. episode. All right, yeah, he came and he rescued us from certain death probably. And then we beat Dark Souls without John because John went to bed. Yeah. So cuz it was like it was like midnight by the time we got home and we had to rush all of the chicken and shit into the fucking fridge. Very understandable and I'm sorry you had to go through that hardship for the pod nave, but I know you're sacrificed and loss of ice cream will make for a better episode. I'm pretty sure they're just eating the ice cream still, just freezer burned ice yeah, cream. Yeah, just the, the melted, refrozen ice cream. Yeah. Very sad. <laughs> so it goes right into a very sad game that we played, which is uh, Dark Souls Remastered. The first game brought to the new generation. Yeah, this game, very old. Okay. Many it, times I've remarked <laughs> on, on how it looks, but uh, we can when get I, into that later. You say very old, but the last time we talked about a very old game, it was Ocarina of Time, and that was like <laughs> 90s. It's like the amount of time between Dark Souls and now is the same amount of time between Ocarina of Time and Dark Souls. So it's it's half of that amount of graphical fidelity. Yes. So 2011 from the FromSoft boys, which terrible, well, I guess it's an okay name, but it's so weird to say, you know, FromSoft. Yeah. Well, it sound if you say from software, it sounds weird. But if you say from soft, it it sounds like, like rare, or like uh, I don't know. Can't think of anymore. Can't think of anymore. Nope. And they're famous for their mech games, which I never played, and all the Demon Dark Souls Bloodborne Sekiro games. Uh, Souls like usually they call them. Um, they're also pretty famous for what is that game? I just came to my mind. Uh, Richard! Oh, the President Simulator. Yeah, have you heard uh, of this game, John? Wolf Mech. No. Wolf Mech something. Mecha Wolf something Mecha like Wolf that. 3000. XD. It's like <laughs> Mech Wolf Chaos XD or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's the name. But um, you're the President of the United States and the Vice President overthrows you. Oh, it's so good. You just have to look up YouTube videos and, and just like listen to these people because it's the classic Japanese game of like, you know, they have horrible voice actors that are just purposefully corny. Almost every single time he's talking to a secretary, he's like, I cannot lose because <laughs> I am the president of the United States of America. <laughs> and it's fantastic. It's, but uh, God. The whole game is just like Saintro level of satire too. Even though they play it straight, you're just gunning down soldiers and shit because the vice president has labeled you like a terrorist or whatever. But you're fighting in giant mechs, so the president and the vice president have mech suits like Gundam, <laughs> and you're just <laughs> you're just fucking going through Dynasty Warriors style. Sounds so bad. Yeah, it's so fucking great though, because you have like three guns on each arm, and you can switch on the fly. So you're like rocket launcher. AK-47, and it's like a giant mech-sized AK, just blowing everything up. It's okay. awesome. So that is FromSoft, and we're talking about Dark Souls, which launched basically, like you said, a Souls-like, almost a whole genre of, they usually say like hard games or difficult games, with Demon Souls being the first one, but a lot of people will say like, oh, they never played Demon Souls because it was PlayStation exclusive. PlayStation 3, I think. Uh, I think, yep. Was it 3? It was PlayStation 3, yeah. Yeah, it was old. 
And then they came out with Dark Souls on all consoles and PC and everything. And this is when it really blew up and everyone got a chance to like get in on it. One funny story I have is that it, this is a similar experience to even that I had when playing Demon Souls, which it's Demon apostrophe S Souls. Demon's Souls. Awful. But um, yes. playing the game, the game's very janky. It's way more janky than, than Dark Souls 1. And the games kind of progressively get a little less janky, especially once you start playing like Sekiro. Sekiro is just a buttery smooth, ridiculous experience, even though the faster the game gets, the harder the games are. Oh, yeah. These games are very slow, which is funny because you think you think of like samurais, you think fast, you think of knights in armor, like European knights, you think slow, right? So it's kind of, I don't know if they'd meant to do that on purpose, but the PlayStation executive or CEO or whatever, I can't remember. I don't know exactly the facts of the story, but this is generally how it is. The CEO or something like that was like when they were trying to localize Demon Souls to uh, for America they the the ceo was like uh this game is the worst game i've ever played and it's terrible and <laughs> oh no one's God. ever going to want to play this i promise it's something like that that's why demon souls uh the english version i think it's like bandai namco that ended up uh mm -hmm. localizing it and produce and publishing it overseas and what's funny is the game sold terribly too for the for a while but it slowly got this cult following of people who were like deep inside of this really bad playing game and with unintuitive controls there is something very special. It's like you have to fight through the difficulty of the game and the controls simultaneously to get to this like meaty core of the game. But as this hard ass game started gaining popularity, it's like a pretty interesting story. I don't know where I'm getting all of this from. It's from somewhere. Well, and first time I ever heard of Demon Souls was after Dark Souls 2 had had not really flopped but it didn't have the same presence as dark souls one and there was mm -hmm. a general community consistency to oh if you want a real dark souls games dark souls 2 is terrible you should go play demon souls it's not technically part of the franchise but it's basically the same people and it is way better than dark souls 2 because they try to do so many changes from one to two and they just weren't received very well well dark souls uh, 2 is developed was uh it was headed by somebody else right yeah it was like a b team in the studio or mm -hmm. something like that yeah the uh i i forgot what i was gonna say go on well i think that's why demon souls got its revamp last year or beginning of this year that it got its re-release yeah on playstation 5 mm -hmm. exclusively it was a ps5 launch title i think if dark souls 2 wouldn't have flopped so hard there wouldn't have been so much press for dark Souls or uh, demon souls and then when 3 came out and it did really well and then they did sekiro they were looking for something to you know hit that same old school souls feel they remastered one and i think that's why demon souls got its big push recently one funny thing about Demon Souls is that before it was released, they were doing like the Tokyo Game Show and everything, hyping the game up uh, at conventions. And they had these booths set up so that people could try out the game, right? But in the booth, they had the character creator. So people would be in this character creator for about 15, 20 minutes and go like, I cannot make this model look good. Yes. And they would quit. Or they would get to the beginning and die to the first enemy and go, this game handles awful, and then leave. So it's like this game, when because this there was no hype around it at all. This was a brand new game, uh, Demon Souls. So new IP. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like everyone was just leaving, and ev and the the team themselves were so scared because they're like, oh no, I think our game is terrible. But the guy was like, hold the line, like you know, Mass Effect. Stay true to yourself. You gotta hold the line. And uh, the another funny thing was that the suits they were 
angry that the game was so hard that they kept putting pressure on them to lower the difficulty of the game. So they had another build of the game that was way easier that they would show to the execs, but the real version of the game they were keeping hidden from them. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then they released the, the really hard game instead of the, uh, the super easy version. Because they figured they'd go to the cons and like people would be like, this is fun. But because they were having fun playing the game, but all of the people abandoning the game that made them very nervous. It's pretty miraculous the game came out the way it did. Well, yeah, the way you were uh, talking about the difficulty level and people not liking it, up until the Souls era, my memory anyways, going back to Ninja Gaiden and Ninja Gaiden 3 being, like, hands down the hardest game in that genre of hack-and-slash-style games, and even back then, people attempting to do specialty runs. Like, if you could beat the game, it was pretty impressive, but if you could beat the game without taking damage you were basically a god <laughs> to you know other gamers who were playing that and that really kind of uh that niche area of people who really enjoyed gaming really enjoyed a challenge introducing a game like that that would just push you to your absolute limit and then force people to look for even harder things to do for the game i think that's kind of what opened the door for the souls like games is that earlier hack and slash era whereas like ninja gaiden 3 i specifically remember being incredibly difficult very hard to even beat the game on its harder difficulties but for a company to go out and just make it at base level really hard was kind of a new thing yeah, so were you like shocked when the first time you played you played Demon Souls first, right? No, I actually played Dark Souls one first. Okay, were you surprised at the difficulty when you bought it? Like, how did you feel after dropping into the asylum and you see the first asylum demon? Yeah, so I had a buddy who was really big into the Souls games. I didn't initially get it when it came out when I was younger. Uh, I didn't have a lot of access to gaming due to my family's views on things so after kind of the n64 and when i got to the point where the xbox came out i didn't get my first xbox until two years after xbox had come out so and then when the 360 came out it was a similar situation i didn't have access to these so i had a buddy who had already played through it significantly and he really wanted me to play so i went to his house and played and he specifically made sure that he didn't give me any hints or any warnings so that when i walked in and I got killed by the Asylum Demon instantly, not knowing where to go, uh, that I just completely got stomped. And I was like, all right, but I think I could beat this guy. So not knowing, and he didn't give me any hints, I didn't know that what you were supposed to do was run through the little side door to your left-hand side. Mm -hmm. I actually tried to fight him for, I think, like 15 or 20 lives with the Broken Straight Sword, which you can't actually kill him with that. I mean, he could if you were really good at the game and spent 30 minutes fighting him. That sounds like a Legend of Zelda, what is it, Breath of the Wild run, where as soon as you get off the tutorial island, you go straight to Ganon. Yeah, yeah. one hard run. So I, I tried that, and I didn't actually find the way out. I didn't put the game down either, but he was like, hey, next time you go in there, go to the left, there's a weapon. And I went to the left, and it shut the door. And I'm like, oh, can I get back to him? Like, I just really wanted to go back and fight him because I was enjoying that, like, high-tier difficulty that I wasn't used to in other hack-and-slash-style games. Nice. Like, you go to your God of War-style games, and they're just, they're hack-and-slash, but the difficulty level, you 
can't just be instantly killed by a level one crap enemy that you see in the first area where the dark souls games you absolutely can even late game if you're not paying attention you can absolutely be taken out that definitely lends to like your friend telling you like hey there's a door over there you can go through there is a deep cooperative nature of this game even though it's such an isolating experience where one of the main cooperative experiences you find are in game and out of game with people helping each other trying to get through this horrible experience together oh my god i say horrible in a, in a good way because it's so hard when you're playing the game you're like walking into a wall over and over again until the wall breaks is that is that accurate the first time you're playing through this game oh the first time 100 but play through it once and you get through it you're like oh did i really find this this hard and you're running into the wall and it's just breaking around you, mo- you most of the time or it's Except- an illusionary wall yeah you just walk straight through it but then there's like a tiny rock that you'll forget about and you'll just like walk into it this would be the um was a ceaseless discharge for us this time i don't think so no because we there was was a couple of times yeah we tripped a couple times well and i ran into that jumping back in the game and i've been playing dark souls remastered for the past about about a year and a half or so on and off as i've just kind of got bored because there's not anything interesting that i've had any desire to play recently that have come out over the past year and a half and so when i you know wouldn't feel nostalgic or anything i'll jump back into remastered and i feel like every time i jump back into it even though i specifically remember some of the traps and things i still end up falling into them yes even if you know the game 100 percent, it's very easy to still get taken out by something that you know is there you know when you walk around the corner it's going to be there and you prepare for it and you still get taken out all right, so you talked about how confident you were that like, you were going to take down the Asylum Demon on your first run through with the Broken Sword. So from there, were you able to like complete your whole run? Yeah, so after I was told about the path to the side, I went and found the weapon. I did not know there was a plunging attack in the game, but based on my other gaming and hack and slash knowledge, I just attempted to attack as I fell down and ended up landing a plunging attack, which I think takes like half its health. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's a really good tutorial moment, how they put you up there, and just, it's such a natural way to learn about the plunging attack. Well, and it's very important for the second boss, which Dark Souls has a very bad habit of, across the series, making gimmicky bosses that their weakness is plunging attacks. The Taurus Demon, the first actual boss you fight, there's a very gimmicky way to kill him, and it's very unorthodox to see somebody fight him without using the gimmicky, climb to the top of the tower, fall on his head, take a quarter of his health during a plunging attack, run away so that he gets far enough from the ladder, go back up it, and do that. One thing that me and Philip were constantly joking about, we can bring this up later, but we would be walking through an area and be like, hey, you remember that part in Super Mario 64 where... And then, like, we would describe something that is exactly happening right now, but it's also in Super Mario 64. Like, you're just, like, climb up the ladder, fall on his head, and I'm like, oh, shit, you fucking kill things in Super Mario 64 by falling on their head. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> but anyway. Well, Dark Souls is notorious for this, including in the third game in Arch Dragon Peak, which is a halfway secret area, there's a boss that the only way to kill it is to run past it, kind of like your boulder chase bosses you know what i mean by that like the old indiana jones running from a boulder oh like crash bandicoot yes you have to run from the dragon he's spitting fire at you there is uh random enemies you run all the way past go up a platform and then you're above him and you have to do a plunging attack when you do the plunging attack it's an insta kill it's not even like a little bit of damage you fall on his head 
insta-kill him. It doesn't matter what weapon you're using, you could be using your fist. If you hit him with your plunging attack, it's an insta-kill. It's kind of like Tree Boy. Oh, Tree Boy was bad. This has been through all of the Dark Souls games, and it's a very gimmicky thing, but it's kind of one of their trademark things. Like, you just know about it. Which we'll get into some more of the bosses after we get past this little intro section. How about you, Nave? Do you have a memory of your first Souls experience? Yeah, the uh, first time I played Dark Souls, it was the very first one. And I got it from, uh, I used to work at GameStop when I was 16. I got the special edition like because he held it for me. He was like an older man. And uh, I was one of the more knowledgeable people that ever really worked there. Most people worked there just to get paid right i worked there because i loved games but then i realized that i my job was to be a car salesman rather than explain to people why games are awesome which is why i stopped working there but understandable he got me dark souls and he was like yeah you're, you're gonna love this game because all of the hardcore gamers love it i did not love this game <laughs> oh no i i don't know if you could i don't know i'm sure people who have listened to most of the episodes have picked up on my anger issues but i have anger issues and so I, I get frustrated very easily. And this is one of those games that gets me frustrated very easily. And the more solitude the experience, the quicker I my fuse lights, right? Which is really awesome that this game has this uh, cooperative experience. And it's a very unique type of experience that we can talk about later. But I played through this game all the way through with both of you two. And the first two times I played the game, I did not have any outside help. I used walkthroughs uh, almost all the way through. And it was two different walkthroughs, so my first my first two experiences were different. But both experiences ended the same way when I got to a specific boss, and this is the in this is the run ender kind of boss that a lot of people I in my experience have quit at, which was Ornstein and Smog, or Ornstein and Smaug, whatever his name is, which is the one of the bosses that's a mainline boss that you have to fight both of them at the same time, and um, I could not do it. Um, you get a summon before you get to pl- fight with Solaire, but as most people know, these summons, these NPC summons, generally aren't that helpful. Usually the only thing they do is distract the boss so that you can hit them. But um, the more people you have summoned in the game, the harder the boss is to fight. So I didn't know that back then. So I was always summoning Solaire and then getting angry that I eventually would get hit in the back. These are the kinds of games that you have to like learn how the game works before you really get to become proficient at the game. And if you get stuck in a pattern, which I always get stuck in a pattern in these types of games where I find a way to attack and I try to do that for every encounter from then on. And if that gets to a point where it doesn't work, I'm just at a loss. I have no ability at that point to recoup and understand why I'm failing. It's more like my brain goes, I'm failing because the game decided I can't win now. And so I just, I, I'm never able to reformulate. But now that we've beaten the game at this point, I it's very clear to me why my first two playthroughs of the game were unsuccessful. And since then, I did beat Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3 two years ago, I think, before I came back around with you guys to play through Dark Souls 1 together. And I finally got to see Ornstein and Smog die before my feet. Three times. I got to see it three times. Yep. I, it was, it was, it felt so good every single time. And it, that's, the, that's the reason why people play these games is because whenever you get over that hurdle, it feels so, so good to see the fucking guy die. Well, yeah, it's almost like a high... Because the game's designed for you to die multiple times, as you were saying, hitting a wall. It's designed that way on purpose to make you learn the patterns, how to defeat the uh, specific areas, enemies, whatever setup that's causing you issue. But once you see it, it's almost identical each time. But there's enough in it 
that it changes up, especially with the boss fights. The bosses are usually telegraphy and have similar attacks, but you can learn those attack patterns pretty quickly after a couple of attempts if you don't if you aren't successful in the first attempt and learn what to do and what not to do, which I think's the rewarding part of this game is you feel like a accomplishment from actually being able to defeat something that took you so long. Yeah, and that feeling of accomplishment really does matter because on my first playthrough of this game, I sourced it online because I was scared to buy a game that I heard was so hard that I probably couldn't beat it and got a copy, played on my computer, and I couldn't get past the Capra Demon. I was bad. I didn't understand why I was dying. I didn't get, like, why could they put a game out here that was so bad that in the first area, which I thought the first area was the graveyard, so I was wrecked by those rolly skeleton boys. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize you could walk up the hill to the aqueduct. I was suiciding into the graveyard for the first, like, three hours of my game time going, this can't be the game. Like, this is obviously some kind of bug. I got to a point where I was so mad that I downloaded a cheat engine and gave myself, like, infinite health. And I proceeded to then basically walk through the rest of the game, which I would say at game journalist difficulty, where I couldn't die or anything. (laughs) And I just cleared the whole game, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why is this game rated so high? Why are people talking about this game? I didn't get any of the, the joy of beating the game the way it was supposed to be played, and so I didn't understand it. Yeah, you touched on something that I think is pretty important for the Souls franchise as a whole. The fact that you are not locked down to a linear path. There is a storyline. There is a path that you're supposed to take, but it still gives you the option to choose your own path. Now, usually the option is die because you're not rated to go in that area. You're not leveled up. You don't have the gear for it. But I think it's important that the game gives you that option Because when you go back through, because Souls is notorious for its new game and new game plus mechanic where when you beat the final boss, you go and start new game plus. And if you do it again, new game plus plus. And it goes up. I played with someone on Dark Souls 3 who was at new game plus 37. You can do it nearly infinitely. And because of that, if you specifically know that there is a backdoor to one of the late game bosses and you just want to do it right away, you have that option as you're on new game plus or plus plus so that you can go and get an early game weapon or early game ability that you wouldn't have known about. The thing about the map design, which is probably my favorite thing about this whole entire series, is that there's a genre of game that people refer to as Metroidvania, where usually two-dimensional games that as you progress through the game, you're going to run into doors that you can't open, and the way that you open them is with a different kind of weapon, like a rocket launcher or like an electric gun or something like that, like based on the original Metroid and Castlevania games. Well, uh, this game is like a Metroidvania in like three-dimensional circle around you. Like this game is looping around on itself infinitely it feels like like some kind of mc escher painting with the stairs on the walls and Mm -hmm. the and the ceiling and stuff different directions it's like that where you're constantly walking and exploring and then you'll open a door and go whoa holy shit i'm here all of a sudden you know what i mean and like how did i end up at firelink shrine just now then there was constantly times where i was walking in the wrong direction and philip would go you're going the wrong way nave and i'm like i just want to see what's over there and he's like oh no that just leads to the valley of drakes don't go that way and I'm like, how the hell does that way? But we're in, like, I'm trying to, like, in my head, figure out where I am in this map. Multiple times, Philip would be like, meet me in this boss area. Okay. And I'm going through Ghost Town. And he's like, he's like, uh, talking about something. I'm talking about killing the ghost. And he's like, why are you in Ghost Town? And I'm like, because I'm going to ride the elevator down the other side of the bonfire. And he's like, 
oh yeah i guess you can get there from that way can't you and it's, it's so interesting yeah the game is notoriously and again i say notoriously because a lot of people don't like these mechanics these oh the game gets harder when i beat it or i went through all this effort beating this boss going this long way just to find out that there's a door that leads back to where i was and had i just known about that path or had i had access to that path originally because it's a one-way door and needs a key or something i wouldn't have had to gone through this big long way the level design and the way you get to each level is set up in such a masterful way on all these games to where it all loops back in one way or the other, especially in the Dark Souls and Dark Souls Remastered. There is no warping capabilities until you beat Ornstein and Smo. So the first at least half of the game, you have to walk everywhere you go. So having these ways to get around where you realize, oh, I should have went back and gone to the Sunlight Shrine. That's an important thing, you know, the fact that you have these backdoors to get all around the map. Yeah, and it's uh, that type of deal that I really hated when I was first playing it because I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. So I basically didn't play the game again for like years until I was just listening to some podcasts. And I saw a Dark Souls podcast and I was decided to give it a listen. It's called a Bonfireside Chat. Quick plug out of them because I really enjoy their product. And they literally you said bonfire side chat. Yes, bonfire side chat. That's weird. Colin Moriarty had a podcast called Fireside Chats, so that's kind of strange. Well, I think Fireside Chat is a reference to the presidential speech that he does like once a year. Yeah, I have no idea. So maybe it probably is because he's a he's a pretty political guy. All right. So these guys literally like go into each individual level, whether just talk about Undead Asylum for two and a half hours just talking about one level of Dark Souls. And after just hearing their Undead Asylum episode, I knew I had to go back and play the game again because I had missed all the important aspects whenever I just rushed through the game. And I fell in love with this game. And I mentioned it in an Ocarina of Time episode, but Dark Souls 1 is probably my favorite game of all time. I always have it installed. After it came out on Games for Gold, I always had it installed on the Xbox. Navy gifted me the remastered whenever it came out. Or not when it came out, but recently. It seemed correct. And I was just like, I'm so happy with this. And I instantly like installed it. And I was just playing through it solo until we were able to connect. Yeah, because this was one of those games where it was on sale. And I bought him this so that we could do it for the pod. Hoping to Christ that we could fucking connect to each other on his hotel internet. And of course we couldn't. So. Which that leads right into, I had never played any co-op in any of the Dark Souls or not Dark Souls, but Dark Souls 1, because I had only played a pirated version. And then after that, I played the Xbox 360 Games for Gold version, which is dead because the remastered was already out and it was only like $8. So anybody could just go play that. But I'm pretty cheap when it comes to games. So I'm like, I already got the 360 version. Why would I need the Xbox One version? And that leads right into our next section where we're going to be talking about what's it like to play through Dark Souls 1 cooperative. But first, let's take a quick break. And we are back. Well, something that Philip said right before we went to break got a question in my head. And so Philip is really used to playing the 360 version. And I'm sure that, John, you probably play the 360 version a lot too, right? Yes. Uh, are there any particular differences between the remastered version and the 360 version that you guys noticed? Because, I mean, a lot of the texture work is not the greatest. And I see a lot of uh, culling 
like way far in the distance like you walk up and you see a body just appear in front of you just a prop body that's just laying there that has no significance but i was wondering how much of this was in the 360 version the texturing is worse but i think <laughs> the biggest thing that they changed was actually the big thing i noticed anyways was actually the multiplayer the way the co-op works in the early versions of dark souls and then dark souls 2 there were systems set up to where you couldn't be drugged through the game with a higher level player so if i start the game at soul level 1 or 10 or whatever i start at and then you've been playing and you've already got to the final boss gwen or you're on your playthrough four or five we could not connect we we have a soul limit that you had to meet in the second one i can't remember what the limit in the first one was it may have also been a soul limit but they changed it to where they did like in dark souls 3 where there was actually password protected and if you use the password protection you could link up with somebody at any level and if they were higher level than you they would be nerfed down to your level so it wasn't breaking the game that's what was going on with Philip because he had a lot of like solo time to farm souls and uh, shards and stuff so he ended up having like a really high level weapon and so almost the entire playthrough, uh, he was nerfed down to my level. Uh, you're talking about just like differences between the versions. I didn't notice anything any like particular, except just seeing other players was a novelty to me. <laughs> like every time I got invaded, I'm like, all right, well, finally, an experience. Because I'd already been like, you know, quietly, thought-provokingly listening to podcasts and just clearing the levels on my own, never being invaded. And then I'm in Nave's game. And we get invaded and I'm like, ooh, we get to do something. And I'm like, are we going to 1v1? And then <laughs> Nave's like, no honor for this one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And we just like proceed to whack, whack, whack. We all just like all hit him at once and just like beat him down. Or I drop on their head while you're trying to have an honorable battle. Yeah. I'm like, all right, uh, don't interfere. This guy bowed. He's fighting honorably. Like, and I'm like dueling this guy in the, in the great chapel in the DLC area. And I know where John Falcon punches from space <laughs> with his giant club and just lands on this guy's head, Goomba stomping him to death. And I'm like, he was almost dead. He had like a third health. I was winning. He hadn't touched me this whole fight. I also did a similar thing where we were in Philip's game in the uh, library. What is it called? Uh, the Duke's the duke's library or whatever and i was like in a different part of the map when the guy invaded and john was 1v1ing him and i walked down the staircase behind him and he had no idea i was there and i just backstab him and kill him <laughs> and i was just like that's the end of that and john was like oh i was i was doing good <laughs> and I'm like, i just wanted to continue yeah if we're going to talk about the invasion aspect for a minute it's a good mechanic however just like anything in gaming someone somewhere is going to decide to focus on that one aspect which dark souls lends it to it you have an invading items and then you can go later in the game and get uh things that let you just invade all the time or choose covenants that let you freely invade people as they come into areas but some people go a little too far and they base their character around PvP and PvP solely, and they can't do anything as far as PvE goes with their build, but they know that if they hit you once, or they have a character set up where they can get behind you very quickly and get a backstab off and then use one pyromancy combustion, it's an insta-kill for almost every single character. Or they'll do bleed builds. The game really gives you the option to build a pve setup or a pvp setup and that really matters when you're trying to just get through the game 
and you get invaded by someone who's specifically just trying to PvP, and you're not. You're not geared to fight another person. You're geared to fight giant monsters and gods, and you know what the game is designed for. It's an interesting mechanic that the designers decided to let people just invade you randomly, and I think it lends itself to the game in a positive way more than a negative way. Uh, this reminds me, I don't know where I'm getting all of this random information from, but I was talking to Philip about this. The way that the multiplayer ended up coming out in this game was the guy who was heading the project. It was like during the winter and all of the cars on this road got stuck. Like everyone just ended up getting stuck on the ice. So I, it was something like everyone was getting out and pushing the first car. And then people from behind would come and help push the second car. And like people were slowly just helping each other getting off of the road. They didn't really talk to each other. They just kind of helped and then went about on their way. And he was thinking like later that night in bed, like, I don't know those guys. I don't know. I don't even remember their faces. They're like ghosts to me. I don't know their names, their jobs. I don't know how their lives are going. It's like, that's kind of the situation that you find yourself in in Dark Souls. If you're playing with random people cooperatively, like I remember playing Dark Souls 3 and standing at the last boss fight farming items for a covenant but basically it's like if you beat a boss with somebody online then you get this token or something like a medal or something yeah sunlight medal i was just helping people beat the last boss and every time i would beat the last boss they would like bow to me or like wave at me or like sometimes they'd send me a message online like up through the recent players list and i was just like just random like now i know that guy's gamer tag because you just see each other's names like my name on dark souls right now is pizza time so they would see pizza time show up and help them beat the boss and then they just be like thanks pizza time it's kind of reminding me of the destiny experience or the uh the fantasy star experience where well, oh we haven't talked about fantasy star yet forgot but in the future we'll talk about destiny or fantasy star i mean one of them probably destiny again but (laughs) (laughs) uh, like you would get people to come and help you in this in these mmo situations and then just wander off and you're just like goodbye random stranger you know and you get a lot of that in uh, dark souls not this playthrough because we just exclusively played with each other i think that the cooperative in dark souls is a much friendlier environment than something like call of duty or halo which are known to be very toxic environments for people you know getting mad and you know just acting ridiculous whereas in dark souls even if you get a bad helper they are going out of their way to help you they had to put their sign down they had to opt in to help you be it to upgrade their covenant or because they're just attempting to help or they want to fight that boss again they are choosing to play with a stranger and you're choosing to allow them into your game now the pvp it's a little different but as far as (laughs) fighting bosses or man i can't get through this area let me you know, human up and see if I can find someone who will help me through. And when the games were very live in the lobbies, that happened a lot. You could just start at the first bonfire and pick somebody up and they would help you through all the way to the boss. Which leads me to talk about the humanity and everything, that aspect. Philip, do you want to explain all of that? Yeah, um, this is a reoccurring state in every Souls game where you have two states of being. One is hollow and the other is your real state which is either like human or ember i don't remember what they actually called it where you were like on fire in the third game Mm -hmm. it might have been human when you were like burning but anyways the only way you can get people to join your game is to be human but that also opens you up to invasions because once you absorb the humanity in your body and become human the dark spirits are coming to collect that humanity from you by force and you don't have a choice in the matter. That's what we're talking about. Like the PVP is not something you can opt out of, but it kind of like lends itself to be an event whenever you are human. And we already have 
two summons in the field. And that's whenever they squire for you. It was like our go-to term where the human would just stand in the back, whoever's game it was. And the two visiting ghosts, either like if Nave was a human, I would then stand up with John and we would go and face off against the invader to defend, you know, our knight. I just got a text message that says AT&T free message. Donald, we accidentally surcharged your account last month. Please your reimbursement here in Shady Link. Sucks for Donald. (laughs) Oh, you you better click that link right now. Yeah, my real name is Donald. How do they know that I'm on an alias on the podcast? You know, click the link and message them and see if they know anything about Dark Souls. Oh, yeah, I'll ask them all about Dark Souls. All right, but yeah, so Human was a double-edged sword, but it led to some pretty stressful times when we were struggling against, I think it might have been like four kings or something like that, when we each had like two humanity left each. And we're like, all right, we really need to either make this run or we need to go farm. And I don't want to farm because we're recording in like two days and we need to finish this game. <laughs> Was that the end of the story? Yeah, like I don't know what, what else we want there. <laughs> everything. Okay. <I> everything. <laughs> that was sudden. You were just asking about humanity. But yeah, that's one of those uh, speed bumps that we ended up running into, huh? Was the four kings. We ended up going around and just beating all of the game around it, it felt like. Yeah. And then we went back to the four kings and just instantly won, us, essentially. And we were, I was just like, wow, we're very strong. Like, we're definitely, by the end of the game, way stronger than we were supposed to be, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, we were overleveled. Like, I know the PvP ranks are like, what, 120 is the standard? Yeah, I think so. What I... I don't know. What I like about Dark Souls is, and hate it at the same time, and I think this is everyone's general thought, is you hit a peak in your game to where you are the correct level for fighting. You don't know what that level is supposed to be on your first playthrough. Even on some of your later playthroughs, it's hard to tell. You could say you're going to go up against the Four Kings. Well, you don't know, should I fight them at soul level 80? Should I fight them at soul level 50? Have I progressed enough, gotten a strong enough weapon, whatever? And while you're trying to figure this out and you attempt them and you just get wrecked because you were under level, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go do something else and level up and you get back to them and you're way over level because the game has this very harsh peak. Once you hit that peak, the game isn't very hard anymore. Once you hit that certain level where you've learned some of the mechanics of the enemies, yes, if you go into a new area, you might run into an enemy that surprises you, does something weird, surprise attack. Bone dogs. Yes. (laughs) Oh, the... uh, Or you might just walk off a ledge somewhere that you didn't realize. Several times, yeah. But the game has this, like, scaling mechanic where once you hit it, the game just isn't difficult anymore, especially if you're co-oping through levels with a group like we did. The game just isn't difficult. I remember you guys commenting on some of the later bosses, how easy they were with a group. And it's not that way when you solo, because I beat the game solo before without summoning. It makes me think about, like, our specific builds and everything, because the way that I built, I was, I maxed out my, well, there's a soft cap to each level, which I assume is, like, 40 for most of them. So everyone, like, Phil just told me, get to 40, stop doing it. Which, John, I think you had a different strategy, but mm-hmm. I'm a very simple man. <laughs> so I heard 40, and I was like, that's where I'm stopping, and everywhere. But um, I got my strength to 40, then my endurance to 40, so that I could carry stuff, and then my vitality to 40, in that order. And so I had a very hard time, because I was getting one shot in a lot of fights. But there's this weird situation where I kind of finally started peaking in my power and my uh, capabilities in battle, where Philip was getting too squishy, and not doing enough damage at all of a sudden and so he was dying like he plateaus and i peak like he came back around once he's got better spells but there were spots in this game that 
I just walked through the first time and I was like, that was super easy. Like the ghost town. And Philip was just dying over and over and over in ghost town. Oh, ghost town was such like, cause I went like full squishy build, just caster, put all my souls into my glove. That's all I needed. So my early game was just steam rolling. I was just nuking everything with fireballs. It was so easy. I was ranged. I didn't have to worry about getting hit at all. But ghost town, you have to walk past the ghost or kill them all. And I had just been speed running this whole game as much as I could because I'm like, oh, I know where the drops are. I know where I can go. Well, I still get, you know, stun locked when one ghost would hit me. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll just die then. Like when we went to go fight pinwheel, you have to fight a bunch of skeleton wheels or, at, or run past them or something. There's a ton of them in the dark. You don't know where they're coming from. And Philip would die instantly, essentially, if he didn't dodge, which he was good at dodging them and predicting where they're coming from. But I didn't know where they were. I was just kind of walking. And he turned around and witnessed me just get hit by a pinwheel. And it just wheel into me for like 10 hits straight. I never got staggered. I kind of just turned around and I was like, <laughs> put my shield up. And he was like, my God, Nave, your poise is so strong. And I'm just, I was like, I didn't even really feel it. And I just slammed them with my hammer or whatever I had at that point. Which did you have the Havel set at that point? Or were you still rocking like heavy hollow gear or whatever? I think at that point I did have Havel. I think I had the Havel plate and the Havel legs, but I didn't have enough uh, equipment load yeah. Yeah, to be able to hold full Havel at that point. But I had enough to where it didn't bother me getting hit like 10 times by a uh, skeleton wheel guy. Which, to break in real quick, Havel is a, a dragon slaying knight that hangs out in the bottom of this watchtower. He's just locked in there. And in both our playthroughs, we were like, oh, we got to go kill him because he has a really strong ring. And we were like, oh, let's just go grab him real quick. I hear you walk in there and you're like, oh God. And I'm like, oh, I guess he's fighting him, you know? And then, you know, you're like, oh, I beat him. No problem. I'm like, oh, he didn't hit you at all. And you're like, no, it was easy. And I'm like, okay. I walk in there and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Turns out Havel is standing directly behind the door frame so that when you walk in, he's just like, surprise. <laughs> he's just like super big dude in full plate armor with a giant dragon tooth. I think is that, is yeah. that his item? It's just it's like an enormous club. It's just a tooth. That he's using as a baseball bat and he just tries to slap you with it. <laughs> and you're in this like tiny room watchtower with him. And I was like, oh my God. Talk about horror games in October. Yeah, no, I think that was a good point. It's not October. It almost is. <laughs> I think that was a good point that you guys brought up about the different class builds that you can do. The game really lends itself to allowing you to explore your own classes. Unlike games that fall into the D&D type categories where you can either be a warrior like Diablo, you can be a warrior, you can be a wizard, you can be some sort of a ranged character. Dark Souls gives you the ability to do all of it if you want. If you specialize, it's always better. But if you wanted to, say, run around with a heavy build and then put just enough points in to run a pyromancy glove to have a little bit of range when you run across those enemies that you just don't want to get that close to, you have that option. And I think that really lends itself. And if you wanted to specialize, like Austin did with the going into a full-on Havel build, Dark Souls 1 having a mechanic of poise where you stagger less, you can do that. Or if you want to go into a light dexterity build where you just roll around and stab things really fast and 
throw magic or fire at them, you have that option too, but you're not locked into that decision at the beginning of the game. You don't choose the wizard class and then you can't change because you're like, crap, this kind of sucks early. I don't have enough spells. Which I don't know. Okay, at some point, one of you guys said something that made me think, oh yeah, we got a Twitter reply. So I went onto Twitter and I asked a question. I, I scattershotted a bunch of questions about Dark Souls, essentially. But basically, he goes, his favorite of the three Dark Souls, of the Dark Souls trilogy so far, and he went with Dark Souls 2. And he, he, he said it in this way, because I think he played the remastered Dark Souls 2. Because Dark Souls 2 was remastered way before Dark Souls 1 was. I don't know why. He said he played Dark Souls 1 on the 360, with Blight Town running at 3 frames per second. He played Dark Souls 2 at 60 frames on the Xbox One. And then he played Dark Souls 3 at about 22 frames per second. So he had a more fun time with Dark Souls 2. This is Eric from Game Positive, uh, the Xbox podcast, which uh, I don't know if I brought that up. I might have. If I brought that up again, I'll just edit that part out. Gotcha. So he said that Dark Souls 2 is his favorite. But the thing I wanted to ask you guys was um, we kind of already brought it up in Dark Souls 1. But I asked if you played the Dark Souls series with a friend or solo. And he said that he played Dark Souls 1 solo. And he played Dark Souls 2 kind of mixed, you know, kind of solo and co-op. And then he played Dark Souls 3 basically exclusively in co-op. Which, in my experience, I finished Dark Souls 1 with you guys. We don't need to go over that again. But Dark Souls 2, uh, I basically played all by myself using a walkthrough from True Achievements. And then Dark Souls 3, I played exclusively co-op with my friend Aaron. Also kind of leaning on the True Achievements walkthrough as well. I basically played all of it with uh, Aaron. So what did you guys do with Dark Souls 2 and 3? Did you guys play it by yourselves the first time, I guess? Uh, on 2, I did a mix of trying to struggle through, and I didn't have a good group of people to play with. And in 3, I had two or three people at a time who wanted to play through, but they wanted to do it on individual runs instead of going a group of three like we did. They'd want to do it just the two of us go through so i had several characters on dark souls 3 it has my most time played of all the dark souls just because i feel like it's the most fluid of the game which makes sense because it's the newest of them so it's going to have the cleaner finish two was my least favorite because of all the drastic changes they made to it all at once whereas in uh three any changes they made felt very steady felt like an improvement and two it went from what felt like a solid game in dark souls to a rough attempt to make the game either harder or more balanced, and it just made the game clunky to me. I didn't enjoy the playthrough. I didn't enjoy all the changes. Poise became nearly useless. In 3, it becomes completely useless. We're in 1. It's the only stat that mattered almost, <laughs> uh, which is true. I mean, in Dark Souls 3 in particular, if you build a full poise build, you're still going to get staggered, by the baby enemies in the beginning as if you don't run any poise in yeah, one dark souls 3 it was the most jarring thing when i was building big boy and i was still getting staggered by regular attacks i'm like why am i even what does this thing do and i would google it like i would get a reddit thread of just a million people yelling about it i'm just like well i guess i'm just not gonna build big boy i don't know i still built big boy but yeah i think in two the most jarring mechanic was the permanent loss of health good lord unless you use an item uh a humanity or can't remember what they use some sort of a effigy I human think. Effigy. yeah effigies uh it. unless you use a human effigy which just like the embers in three and the humanities in one was your humaning item which gave you the ability to co-op or to summon in a npc uh, also, you could be invaded, you know, with that item as well. But it was a much bigger deal in two because there was still a limited number of them. 
They're not infinite. You have to either buy them for salesmen or find them. And if you run out, then in two, your health bar decreases every time you die until you use a human effigy. So if your health bar is maximum, it'll go down to 70% after five or six deaths. Whereas in the other two games, one and three, if you die, there's really no consequence other than you lose a humanity. In three, you lose an ember, but you also, when you embered up, you gain your full health. When you aren't human in the third game, you don't have your maximum amount of health, like you have 70% of it. In the second game, though, you would just drastically lose health each death, and it was a pretty jarring mechanic to try to, instead of running into the wall and eventually breaking it, you were breaking your head at the same time you were hitting the wall. And it's <laughs> Which a makes sense on paper, but terrible mechanic for the game, especially hardcore players who use the try and fail and now you know how to beat it method, and you just can't do that the same in two. I think in Dark Souls 1 there's something like that too, but I think you have to die a specific way, isn't it? Curse. From like, You're talking about curse? Yeah. Yeah. Curse is the worst. In one, curse has the most negative effect of the three games. I think you lose half of your health when you're cursed, right? Not to mention, you would die no matter what your health was at. If the curse affected you, you would turn to stone. Mm-hmm. So it just petrified you. Instead of like, I think the next worst thing is toxic, which you don't really ever mess with till you get to Blighttown. But it usually, at that point, if toxic bar fills all the way up and you get toxic, what is it called? You get inflicted with toxic? Yeah, yeah. it's just toxic. Uh, it basically meant, all right, you're done. Turn around, go back to the bonfire. Because you, in, if you can even get back to the bonfire without choking to death on your own pooling blood in your lungs or whatever the hell's well, going the on. the worst part about that is toxic is its own status effect separate from poison. And you can stack poison and toxic. So in Blighttown, the area known for its poison, you can be poisoned and then get toxic and your health bar will decrease quadruple its rate than it would with just being poisoned because uh, toxic runs down incredibly fast compared to poison but if you have both of them ticking at the same time your health bar just depletes in mere seconds which is hilarious because at the end of the game i got afflicted with toxic back and i had 40 vitality i was like oh no i have toxic guys we need to finish this boss fight fast and then i watched my health for a little while and i was like oh wait i'm so fucking big that it doesn't even matter like i'm, I'm gonna survive this <laughs> All right, so we've been hitting the mechanics pretty hard and kind of getting a little off topic. So just to get more on the our co-op run through, we actually had a, a couple of things we tripped on. Like uh, one that I really wanted to talk about was Nave in the Dark when we went to the Tomb of the Giants because we were stuck on the Four Kings. And we're like, all right, that's fine. We'll just go level up in a couple of other zones. So we battle our way through the skeleton forest in the graveyard or whatever. And we get down to the Tomb of the Giants which is a Pokemon-style dark cave where you have to use Flash if you want to see anything. Well, the problem is, Nave, for whatever reason, did not get the lantern drop off of the Necromancers on the way down. We wasted like 20 minutes. He was walking me to every single spot where they could be, and I'm like, there's no one here. And he's like, the skeletons aren't respawning? like, no, they're dead. I'm just standing here. Yeah, so he's walking around a literal ghost town in a graveyard of nothing but dead enemies. And I'm like, well, Nave, we can't... You can't see... If you don't have this item. And they were like, well, that's fine. Uh, we, we'll call tonight here. And tomorrow we'll go and get a, um, oh, what's it called? The chaos bug. The sunlight magnet. Sunlight maggot. That's it. Gross. Yeah. And so we had to go fight um, the, the death tree, which led to a whole nother adventure. <laughs> so uh, another break in. Uh, one thing I've talked to my daughter about is all good games have slides in them. Just like Mario 64. 
And so there's one boss in Dark Souls 1 called the Bed of Chaos, where it is a giant tree that has a tiny little, what is it, a witch or something down the center of it? Yeah, so each portion of it is its own witch. Oh, is that it? You can get into that if you want, but it's a pretty long description. No, we don't need a lore dive. Yeah. (laughs) This is not a uh, Dark Souls lore podcast. This is a cooperative play podcast. (laughs) Go uh, somewhere else if you're looking for lore. Anyways, so we all go down the slide and it really just came into suicide runs where we would all three summon up and we're like, all right, we got to do this. We'd slide down. And this boss only takes, you know, three hits to kill. It was like, you just got to hit it once on, on one side, once on the left side, and then right down the center. Easy, right? There was three of us, three spots. Well, it was not easy for us, dear listeners at home. In <laughs> fact, we actually spent the most time out of any boss on this boss. There is an awful walk at the beginning. Every time you dive to walk quite a bit to get back to the, just to attempt it again. Yeah. That was a lot of the time also. And then the time we spend summoning, is your sign down, Nate? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm summoning in? <laughs> we did that so many times. But with the tree, it's like, all, the only thing that can really kill you is falling off the map. Because the slaps usually aren't enough to kill you. You usually have time to heal after. But then it would hit you again and slap you off the map. Because there was just all these holes that would just pop up. And falling off the cliff in Dark Souls is the worst way to die. Like we talk about toxic, we talk about curse, but falling, something about falling just sets off my my monkey brain. And I'm just like- Worse than curse? Worse than curse, <laughs> because I know how to fix curse. That's pretty rough. Like falling, it's like there's, there's no going back. Especially on that boss, because you can block the slaps that the giant tree arms throw at you, but you cannot stop being- physically pushed by a giant tree arm which will throw you into the hole if you're standing in the wrong spot this is the best part to emphasize my journey through this game as well because this was when i was finally helpful to both of you where i was big boy i finally had enough endurance and stamina to block really really strong things like i remember hearing philip say like eight or nine times at least going wow you blocked that and i'm like yeah and i still have like a quarter of my stamina left to attack but um or dodge and so this tree guy i could block like three of his hits and i wouldn't take any damage he would push me on the first try i think so our plan was to get two people to run to each side and then break them basically at the same time because once you broke one he became very aggressive and he was and once you broke his left side and his right side they were broken forever so he would you would jump down there and the right side would be broken already if you had already broken it right, right. so the first time we did it it worked i think both of you guys broke both sides and then we died trying to get to the middle well we tried again on someone else's game because each time you run through a level in this game i don't know if we hit on this but when you play in co-op you are a spirit in another person's solo campaign so if i and the person summoning Philip. Philip is the spirit in my game, and I kill a boss. That boss dies in my game, but he got no progress other than the amount of souls that he gets for helping me. So I would have to join Philip's game and beat that boss also if you guys want to progress at the same time. Usually you have like people, random people jumping in and helping you, like random strangers, unless you're playing in this way. So we had to beat this boss three times effectively. We had to beat most of them three times. And so this boss was the second time, it was like in my game, I think, only the person on the right, it was always the right side. The person on the right broke it, the person on the left failed to break it, and then died, and then we all died. (laughs) So in the third time, again, the right side got broken, the left side didn't get broken. Well, we ended up beating it once, and then the next two times, we couldn't get to that left side without dying. We were dying over and over and over and over and over again. And so 
eventually because usually it would be because i didn't know what was going on so they essentially were in every boss fight helping me beat the boss by knowing what to do and being stronger than me so i'm like i'll go first because i'm i'm thick boy they kept getting staggered and then hit by something and then hit by something and they would die right well i don't really get staggered too easily so i ended up going and i finished i broke the left side and we immediately beat the boss the second and then the next time we did it again i went to the left side and beat it and we were just like wow i guess nave's just the one that has to go to the left side yeah that's all turns to. i'm just blocking over and over again i'm like as long as i don't like stand too close to the ledge when he swings i i can always block it and so but then that drop down the middle when the floor opens up and you have to hit a very specific curly root that you can't tell is curly until you get right on top of it and once you're that close you are dedicated to making the jump or getting slapped off the edge you don't have a choice and if you miss your jump which is very easy to do you die and you got to start over luckily the sides don't respawn yeah i was not a fan that is one of my least liked boss very gimmicky yeah one thing that i did want to mention is with the knave in the dark which is how we kind of started this little story we ended up getting the light for him but before this i wanted to get him the bonfire so that we had a place to warp to. So Nave could not summon me in because we forgot to put the Lord Bucket down with the the, the Earthworm uh, framped. We didn't give him to him, so we couldn't summon after Pinwheel. To get- At this point in the game, we did not realize that was what was wrong. Yeah, so we could not summon for each other. And I'm like, Nave, you should be able to summon me here. And he's like, your symbol's not there. And I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to play <laughs> solo in each of our games. I'm going to guide you because I got the lantern and I can see the path, but he cannot see the path. So I am like telling him step by step, like hug the right wall till you see this one glowing pixel like on the ground. And then you're going to hang a left. Do you see the bowl with a spoon in it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like just a random item in the game, like just a, a literal bowl and spoon just sitting on the ground. Because he sees nothing but darkness and a tiny bit of light under his feet which can highlight some objects. And so I... Do you see the rope on the ground? Yeah, do you see that, Stop. that coil rope? Okay, hang a left of the coil rope. And you're like, am I going to die if I walk forward? And I'm like, hold on, let me look. <laughs> then I go and I look and I'm like, okay, you should see a coffin here. And he's like, I see a wall. And I'm like, that's a coffin. <laughs> it looked like a wall until I started walking onto it. Yeah, so eventually we slid more slides and we slid down to the bonfire and... I'm like, all right, let's just get out of here because there's no way I was going to guide him past patches, past the bone dogs, all the way to Nito's lair. At the beginning, though, what's really cool is that you fight skeletons in that area, which is not cool. That actually sucks really bad. But the thing about the area, about the skeletons is that inside of their eyes, they have little white glowies. So when you're in pitch black darkness, Philip is like, slowly turn your camera until you see two white lights. And I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, I see two white lights. And he's like, that's an enemy. You should be able to walk straight at that guy, but make sure your shield is up because he's going to charge you. And I'm like, okay, you know, and that's how we we would slowly walk like four or five steps and go, okay, uh, I see rocks like pebbles. And he's like, well, let me look. No, but then we would use the other players notes, too, because like you said, people would leave notes from the other games. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be like somebody would leave a note that says. Uh, don't give up skeleton or something like that. And I'm like, do you see the note that says praise the sun 47 with 47 likes or whatever? And he's like, <laughs> yep, I see it. I'm like, all right, go left there. 
which is nice because there's a specific level in the air. I, we're fucking going off the rails again. But there's a specific level towards the end where there are invisible paths over like a giant chasm underneath you, like a crystal palace kind of thing. And there are people who left signs along the path. So you can just, I'm going to walk in a straight line right towards that sign. Just to, because the, the signs they leave are literal like writing on the ground, like in chalk, yeah. basically, but they're very glowy. Well, and that was an early like trolling mechanic in the game too. Illusionary walls are a thing in the game and they hide secrets. And if you walk up to a wall that's illusionary and you hit it, there's no way to know until you hit it. And people will leave signs around the game that say <laughs> illusionary wall ahead and it'll have 47 or 127 approvals on it. <laughs> and you're spending 10 minutes hitting walls trying to find the illusionary wall that doesn't exist. My favorite thing is whenever you get to a ledge and it goes, try jumping or something. <laughs> yeah, that's and you just... And you just fall off the ledge and die because there are there are some ledges that like there's a specific place where there's a giant throwing fireballs at you and you drop off a ledge and there's a secret bonfire there that is like a lifesaver because that place really sucks to get through called sin's fortress just full of booby trap it's the most video game level of the whole place mm-hmm. that's what philip was saying yeah that's actually like one of my favorite levels it's just booby traps and like guillotines knocking you off into a pit of demons and stuff. Where if you fell, it feels like a Castlevania level. Like if you fell, if you even survived the fall, you would not survive because by the time you're done, the animation of going ah oh, my ankles <laughs> and getting back up, the demons are spitting you with a fucking giant staff. So which I don't really PvP much, like actually invading other people's games. But that is the one area I do PvP invade. <laughs> because like i just think it's so fun to like stand at the edge and of the bridge where like you know like the guillotines are swinging back and forth and you just see the other like you see the human on the other side and i'm like you you're going down you know <laughs> meet me on the bridge of death that happened in the dlc uh there's one thing that philip was saying he's like this happens occasionally where someone will invade your level and in order to get money and, and humanity and stuff from winning an invade you have to kill the person well that's not entirely true you, the other person just needs to die. So, so what some people would do is they'll spawn as an invader in the new world and they'll just hide and wait for the other guy to die of natural causes, which <laughs> almost always actually happened. <laughs> like we would die and I would just be like, damn, I gave that asshole fucking soul. Because you're now. stressing like, okay, is he hiding around this corner? Is he hiding around that corner? And you're not focusing on getting through the game, getting through the level successfully. You're too busy like, looking around every corner trying to make sure that guy isn't sitting there waiting to havel you from behind a door or like am planning of ambush or something because like whenever you get invaded that ghost doesn't get attacked by the enemy so he's basically on the same team as all the guys trying to kill you and so he you can he can wait and plan an ambush in an area with a bunch of enemies and and like lure you into them which is what some people would do which uh last time when we were finishing the game we were rolling up to the last boss and that is the last chance for PvP. <laughs> and so a lot of times people will camp right before Gwen. And I was just sitting there waiting for Nave. And all of a sudden I see the fog wall pop up. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting invaded. And this guy pops up. And I'm like, well, on guard, dude, let's dance. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not scared of you. And I whooped him like really good. And I'm like, all right, all right, it's good. Summon me, Nave. Nave summons me in. The second I get in the game, Nave gets invaded by the same guy. And I'm like, <laughs> round two, dude. <laughs> I'm like, let me handle this one, Nave. I know this guy. Which we ended up fighting an optional boss. It was optional, right? 
in in Orlando. Yes. You know, Gwen, so we Gwen, like yeah. we both basically got down there, right? And I and I summon him in. John wasn't there at the time. I summon Philip in, and I get invaded by someone named Ooga Booga. And then we went through the fog wall, which basically, if you go through a boss's fog wall, it disperses the person that's invading you. But basically, it's like, okay, uh, you made it to the finish line, right? Well, then we join Philip's game and immediately get invaded by the same guy. It's always so funny whenever you see the same guy. And the second time, we weren't actually at the place yet. Uh, so we ended up seeing him in the distance chasing after us. But he's like, no, trying to stop us from getting to the wall so that he can kill us and not waste his time. Oh, God. It's funny because people are just like joining the covenants and just doing invasions. It's like there's still like a hidden player base in the game. Yeah, even though the online is pretty much dead in these games, when they originally released and then, you know, uh, as each one gets a remastered, you will have a hundred or so people in each area waiting and in the later games like in dark souls 3 you'll see the population in each area there's a little symbol that i show you how much population's mm-hmm. in the area good and bad that means there could be someone waiting to put their sign by the boss could be there are five guys waiting to invade you the second you human up there was a time in dark souls 3 i was playing with aaron and we were in this like forest area and we kept getting invaded over and over again there so we got to the point where we would fight a little bit but then we were like okay we can't win we need to run back to the bonfire right it just because uh, I, I think you can can you bonfire i don't know no but if you matter. die you'll be right there to pick up your dead body yeah so uh we there's this bonfire down this really long ladder in the forest area right yeah and we were fighting and i was like i was like aaron we gotta go we gotta go run 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 and so i'm running back and i go down the ladder and then uh, aaron's like ah like climbing <laughs> down the ladder because the guy's right there swinging at him and then i i slide down the ladder i turn around and i'm watching i'm like watching the ladder aaron slides down and immediately a, a ghost body goes ah! and falls <laughs> and we're just laughing we're sitting there laughing so hard at this guy but we forgot we were double invaded there was a second uh, guy in there and so the second guy slides down the ladder as we're both laughing and just beats our ass while we're we're just to- completely defenseless getting our asses beat by this guy and we're just laughing even harder because we f- completely forgot that guy even existed all right, so we've been going on for a minute. One little lore bit I really did want to hit on, though. Me and you, John, we've both played this game quite a bit. Like, I think I've done yeah. at least four or five complete run-throughs. Mm-hmm. And the final boss is basically Lightning God, or like, like he's a Zeus figure, pretty much, uh, Gwen. And me and Nave did a full genocide run, clearing every boss we could up to Gwen. And I'm like, all right, Nave, this is the last boss. And we just walked in there. And Nave, I want your honest opinions for the final boss of Dark Souls. All right. So you told me beforehand when we went in there that this guy, because when we were playing, I don't remember which boss it was, but I was getting very frustrated. And you're like, don't worry. This is one of the hardest bosses. And I'm like, all of them, even the last, I think I asked them like that. And you're like, don't worry. The last boss is not hard. I don't think you meant to do that, but like, I was like, okay. So in my head, the whole time going through, I was like, I think I'm done with all of the hardest shit. So I went into the last boss going, okay, this guy's, well, also we were just stomping every boss towards the end. So I was already in a, in a mindset of, we're probably going to wail on this guy. This guy is noticeably weaker than everyone else, which I think is, it, it is on purpose, I assume. And where like, because this guy, I think in the lore is like using his soul to make sure this fire doesn't doesn't burn out or something. Yeah. And I think the whole point is that you're going to go take over his job because right. he's too weak to to keep the world alive anymore. I think all of the bad shit that's happening, 
I assume, is because he's too weak at this point to make sure that the fire's burning hot enough or something. Or I don't know. I might be going on a tangent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you're you're on the right path. The whole thing though is that it was very sad. Like Maddie was sitting there next to me when I was playing. I was like, "What do you think about this?" And Philip brought up. He he said some words about the music. I don't remember what were the words you used. Oh, plin plin plon. Plin plin plon. Yeah, that's that's the, <laughs> the meme. first three notes. The first three notes of the music. When he said that, I didn't know what he meant. But then I got in there and I heard the first three notes, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure. He's memeing right now about whatever <laughs> yeah. that was. But um, the music was melancholic, I would say. I And um, it was pretty sad. It was like hand, the ha- this handing down of a burden kind of music, you know. Like, And this guy, he fights you kind of pitifully, almost. You know, he's very strong and you can he tell. He was embarrassingly weak when we fought him, though. Like, we were we were playing with him. I don't know. Like I was definitely just like mocking him though. We went in. I'm like, it's over old man. And of course he's infamous for being parryable. And he yeah. walks in swing once. And I'm just like clunk. Not today. You know, as I, you, you literally parried him and went like, no old man. <laughs> <laughs> you literally said that. Yeah. So Gwen is a boss. He is not impressively hard, if you know the mechanics or if you have a person with you, but if say you're playing a, uh, a magic or a pyromancy build. Oh yeah. You're going to get slapped or even a strength build. And you don't have a ton of poise. You aren't going full havels or you aren't wearing one of the late game, super strong armors. Uh, and you don't know about his parrying mechanic. He can be incredibly difficult. The only summonable NPC is Solar and you have to do a very, very specific thing throughout the game to summon in Solar, and you have to kind of know what you're doing or get lucky enough to dumbly stumble into it to save Solar so that he can be summonable in the final boss fight if you don't have another actual person to come help you with it. But if you solo him, which is most of the time I've killed and has been soloing, he is pretty difficult. He's very hard to get behind. He just jumps around the entire map uh he's got some grapples and if you don't have the gear or you don't have the mastery of parry then he can be incredibly difficult but he's not like if you know what you're doing or if you have somebody who knows what they're doing he's incredibly easy but one thing you guys touched on was the music the scores in this game as far as musically wise for the boss fights and some of the areas are just fantastic and that yes. goes for all the souls games when uh again maddie was sitting next to me because we beat the uh this was after the the whole car fiasco at the convenience store we kind of sat down you know we were both kind of agitated with each other so we sat down on the couch just to kind of be around each other kind of unwind not be so mad about the situation and uh so of course to unwind and be less mad we decided to play dark souls nice. with Philip yeah, because of course. we needed to beat the game but um she was watching this and she hasn't really watched too much of this game and she really loves the aesthetic and everything like how it looks it's 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 beautiful as long as you're not getting your face too close to the tv and looking at the textures everything's very beautifully put together but the the it's the atmosphere of the game that's so amazing and with the music at the boss fights there's almost no music at all in this game you are listening to your character breathing taking footsteps going uh, uh," (laughs) you know what i mean that's all you're really hearing and enemy enemies crying out but we ended up beating the dragon in the dlc the very last boss um and then we ended up beating the last boss of the main campaign me and him together maddie the first thing she did 
was whenever Philip dropped down, the music starts playing, and Philip goes, oh no, the music started. And as soon as he said that, Maddie goes, oh! Because <laughs> like, there's just the choir going crazy. As soon as, and then you're like, where's the enemy? Where's the boss? And then the dragon starts stomping around a corner, and like it's way in the distance, and you're just like, oh shit. With this fucking crazy choir going wild. Yeah, the game has like, this eight times really years. good way about building boss fights where usually when you walk in, you hear music immediately, but it's usually at a lower tone or if it's at a high tone that usually means the boss is going to have a second form or halfway through its health bar it'll have an additional form change and the game is really good about when things happen like that form changes or uh second forms completely you'll get new music like cool i killed this guy this guy was really hard to kill and then the music intensifies and that's a meme right now or i've seen it for years but you know, music intensifies, and then the boss comes back with an entire new health bar with an entire new score of music. Which, now that I'm thinking about that that DLC area, we, me and John experienced a whole lot of visual bugs when we were in there, and it got me thinking about the rest of the bugs. Like, there were some really awful bugs that we ended up running into in one specific area, and that was Sin's Fortress. And we had multiple instances of enemies T-posing and becoming unkillable to the ghosts while the main guy, like whoever the, the main world character was, was struggling to fight them by themselves all of a sudden. And we had the most infamous, which Philip wrote the notes, well, the most infamous for us, which was the traps triggering improperly at our disadvantage. The one he wrote down was Double Boulder, where there are these boulders like falling down Crash Bandicoot style or Bomb on Battlefield, if you want to bring up super mario 64 again yes um we do you have giant boulders rolling and then if you walk into them you're probably going to die unless you have a lot of health or armor and so which which philip it was philip philip would die in one shot yes, every time every time <laughs> and so but these boulders you can't see past them because they're in tiny little corridors coming down at you and it's very dark well, these boulders would fly by, and Philip would start running as soon as it would fly by, and then get immediately smashed by another boulder that fell down instantly. Yeah, because if you don't run the moment that boulder happens, because you have to run where it's coming from, if you don't do it at that exact moment, you won't make it in time before the next boulder drops. But we were getting hit with double boulders that whoever the host of the session was would not see. Yeah, I couldn't see them. But we would get smashed by double boulders constantly. Yeah, it was pretty amusing on my screen because I would watch the boulder go by and then immediately see them run out. And then their bodies would fly back against the wall <laughs> and they'd explode against the wall and they'd just die. And I'm like, what happened? Double boulder. And I didn't see another boulder. They just died randomly. The next one, which I mentioned the giant throwing the firebombs uh, before, but this only happened once in one life to only me and philip but in my game that giant would throw the fire so he was like double handing the fire the thing is that he would throw a firebomb you'd wait for the fire to go out then you'd have a very short amount of time to run through that area before the next firebomb falls down well for until he killed me which is how i died he would keep throwing the fire so he, it would never stop like burning and so we were like, what do we do? And I tried to run, and I got I got knocked over by the fire, and then another fireball came down <laughs> as I was getting up, which knocked Perfect. me down against the wall, and then I burned again by the fire. I'm like, surely that was a mistake. And then from then on, it never happened again. But there was some real shenanigans going on in Sin's Fortress, for sure. All right, guys, we've been going on for a minute, so I think we need to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our final words for Dark Souls. All right, three, two, one, and we're back. Okay, so Dark Souls, great single-player game, fantastic co-op game. It's time for some final final last words on this game about spooky skeletons. Let's start with you, Nave. 
All right, well, this was, like I said before, my first time completely beating the game. And it was a similar experience to Dark Souls 3, where I kind of had this vicarious living through my friend's experience where you you guys would be like look at that isn't that cool and i would have no real understanding of what that was because it's hard to it's like whenever you learn how to play the guitar really well it's hard to imagine not being able to play the guitar really well anymore when you're explaining how to play guitar to somebody else or maybe like playing league of legends or or call of duty or something like imagine talking to your dad or your mom how to play halo and trying to explain, and then you're like, okay, all you have to do is go over there and then shoot that guy. But they don't know how to move the sticks in this at the same time. <laughs> yeah, okay, I gotcha. But that was my experience with like the regular Dark Souls experience, and I feel like I could never really have that experience just by the way that I had experienced the game originally and my impressions of the mechanics and everything, along with my temperament, how aggravated I can get. I knew that I would never be able to like by myself and in solitude work my way through these games the way that they're supposed to that being said playing the game cooperatively it lifted a burden from my heart really because i it felt so good to be able to beat these games even though it cheapened the uh adrenaline rush that you get the only time i really had that spike of adrenaline was when we beat ornstein and smog which was this this boogeyman in my head at this point where every other boss we beat, yeah, we would die a few times. Besides the tree guy, the, the tree that only takes three hits to kill, all, every other boss, I felt hardly anything whenever we beat them, especially because of how strong we were getting. The game was completed in two phases for me. Either the phase where I was incredibly weak and I couldn't do anything to help, and then the phase where I was incredibly overpowered. And like I was getting carried, and then I was the carrier at, all of a sudden. You know, like I was staggering everyone. Like, I was staggering bosses. I was just wailing on them, you know? And so it kind of tinted the the glasses, I guess, in a way that I had an enjoyable experience, but not for the same reasons that almost everyone who enjoys Dark Souls had, which was getting engrossed in this amazing environment, in this amazing atmosphere, and, like, the this minimalist storytelling environment where you have to read the lore and, like, put pieces together in order to understand what the story means, which... Side note, I played this on the Series X, and a lot of the lore is delivered through loading screens. Those loading screens, for every single time you load, are like half a second long to one second. I would jokingly read to Philip. I'd be like, so the Estus Flask, it, it, it's given to you by the... And it's over. Tell me more about the dung pies. <laughs> yeah, I would get halfway through a sentence, and then like, the loading screen would be over. But the game um, in itself uh, is satisfying. It's, it's forged in fire type of gameplay, where you have to suffer before you can succeed and that it it's like it's like a life lesson in that kind of way but that life lesson if you play it within co-op with people who are ex experts at the game which both of you are you guys are in, you guys are way better than me you it's like getting born into a family with a lot of money rather than be like starting from the bottom now we're here you know what i mean it's like <laughs> i i definitely like got a leg up i had training wheels for most of the game and so if you're bad at games which we can talk about this afterwards but uh if you're bad at games like this you definitely can get two people who know how to play the game really well and get them to carry you through it the most for the most part there's not a whole lot of areas that you have to go through by yourself so you can genuinely uh experience at least walking through the game <laughs> you can experience that but if you do do it this way the first time, you're not going to 
it, it'll be similar to Philip's experience of playing the game with the cheat code on. Almost. It wasn't the same as that because we were still failing regularly and uh, having to try for the most part. But yeah, I, I definitely still enjoyed Dark Souls 2 and 3 a lot more. Uh, well, 2 specifically because it's the first one that I... I don't think 2 is a better game, but it's the first Dark Souls that I actually beat by myself. I think it'll always be that way too. Like how people enjoy the first Final Fantasy. Like they're always like Final Fantasy is the best because that's Final Fantasy VII is the best because that's the one that I played first, probably, right? Right. It's a similar situation in my head. Which is why Final Fantasy XV is my favorite. Sword Boys for life. I thought you said thirteen in my head, and I had an aneurysm. <laughs> but then you said Sword Boys, and I was like, oh, he's. I don't think that's what he said. All right, uh, I'll move in next, and we'll let John have the final words. So I. <clears throat> can 100% recommend this game to anyone, but it's not going to hit with everybody. I think this is definitely a not an acquired taste, but you have to work for it. Because I did not work for it in the beginning, and I didn't get it. But then going back and just playing through it all solo, this game means a lot to me. You talk about the music change. After going from full orchestras through most of the boss fights to the solo piano against Gwen. Like I teared up whenever I was playing the game solo and I got to that point and I just, you know, I ended up whooping like Gwen because at that point I'd already listened to the episode on him and I'm like, oh, you can parry him. And I just parried him to death. And I'm like, well, that was easy. The first thing I said as soon as I walked in there is that I was like, this, this music makes me want to cry a little bit. Yeah. Like just unprompted. I was like, this is incredibly sad music. This song is still in like the top 10 of my most played songs on my like my iTunes or whatever. Like I go back and listen to this song just when I'm driving in my car and I feel it every time. You just slam your fist down <laughs> on the door. And you're just like, <sighs> well, just feeling it. I linked you that video of Keanu where he's, uh, he's, he's got the headphones on and he's eating and he starts crying and then just have the pling, pling, plon in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that's the feeling right there when the pling, pling, plon hits. That's the heiress theme for, for people like me, where I hear the dun, dun, dun. And just thinking about it now made my heart well up a little bit. I'm like, oh no, my, my girlfriend, she died. But that's my solo playthrough. But for a co-op, I enjoyed this so much. Like, John, I'm so glad you joined us on this. Because like at first I was like, oh, you know, uh, I love Dark Souls. I definitely want to hog the pod on this one just so I can talk about how much I love Dark Souls. Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls. But then you came in and you showed me so much stuff that I didn't even know about my favorite game. You're like, oh, you can you can do this. And I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. Or even Nave like, showed me. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the specifically the biggest thing that John taught you was that you can slide down the ladders. Yes, sliding down the ladders <laughs> was a game changer for me because I'd seen the monsters do it, but I never knew how to do it because you can't be pushing any direction. You just hold B. And I was always like, maybe I'll just hold down and B to climb faster. But no. But That's how it is in God of War. Nave, what you showed That's me. That's a mechanic in the others as yeah, well. Nave, you showed me the tree frogs, which I didn't know were in the game at all. The ones in Darkroot Basin, <laughs> yeah. or Darkroot Garden, excuse me. Uh, there is a log that's an illusionary wall, I think, and you hit it, and it was a tree. It was a walking yeah, tree that you killed. It's an enemy, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, what? What is this? And we go back there, <laughs> and there's like these tree frogs, and I'm like, what are these enemies that are only worth 10 souls? <laughs> 
yeah, it was just this random place I stumbled upon, like, the first time, before I really was, like, nose deep in a walkthrough. I just attacked, I saw the path back there, and I'm pretty sure how I knew is that there was a sign behind it. And I was like, how the hell did he get behind this tree? Because sometimes you'll see signs that are, like, floating in the air, yeah. where they glitched up there, but... I attacked that tree and it had a health bar and I was like, ah, and, you know, like you, and then you panic and kill it. Yeah. You have to now. And then John, when we were going through Gravelord Nitos, um, mm -hmm. the run up with the pinwheels, we saw the, the humanity monsters. I forgot what they were called. Uh, those little lurker things that yeah. aren't, you know, they're not normal monsters. They're only there when a set event condition is completed. Where, like you said, so many people die with humanities. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I've heard about these in lore videos and stuff. And they are just so rare. And for me to see one on a playthrough, I was like, this is already worth it. You know, like, this, this is amazing. I'm learning yeah, I so was much like, more. I think when it happened, I was standing on a cliff and I was like, what is that? And I'm and everyone's like, what? Because I had just killed uh, Patches. And I was like, what is that thing down there? And John was like, where? And I'm like, I'm standing near Patches and I'm looking down, like stand far. I just explained my location because it's kind of like obscured by a cliff. But once you like walk way out on this other other cliff on the opposite side, you could see this red enemy down there. And I was like, am I invaded? And John was like, oh, no, I think you're talking about this. And that's when he explained it to us. Yeah, because they're very specific enemies and they have a random spawn, but they have specific areas they random spawn. And down there where Patches knocked you down in the Tomb of Giants is one of their spawns because as the games progressed and I played it longer and longer and the, that parameter was met throughout the game as a whole, which is a cool aspect that we didn't cover too much, that the whole game is affected by other players in different scenarios. But as that parameter is met, that enemy spawns more frequently. So every time I played the game recently, that enemy spawned in that area. So I knew exactly what you were talking about when you started describing it. Well, that kind of, an easy way to, to point at that also is like, there are two bells. One of the first objectives that you get is to ring these two bells in different spots in the world. And every time a, a human rings one, you can hear it being rung in your game. So every time you hear a bell ringing, you just go, ah, someone, someone made, made it. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good job all right, go on, all right. Uh, i've gone on long enough uh i could just talk more about how much i love this game but i recommend it uh like we talked about last podcast let it affect you em embrace the suck it's gonna suck <laughs> you know you're gonna get mad you're gonna quit i quit but yeah come back try hard and you'll do fine and don't give up skeleton i think the third day we were playing i quit when I, I got very upset. I lost 60,000 souls in like in between two deaths. And I, I was sitting at my computer just playing solitaire and just waiting for them to be like, all right, put your sign down, Nave. And like, I'd, I'd walk up and I'd activate the sign. I think it was in the tomb and or something. I think it was before that, actually. But uh, I was just like, I've, I'm so furious and I'm just trying not to get angry. <laughs> I just want to play solitaire or something that won't make me angry. <laughs> all right, John, what have you got to say about Dark Souls 1? So what I really love about Dark Souls 1 is that you get a completely different experience, whether you play it completely solo, partially co-op where you're picking up people just at boss fights, or if you get a group of people together where you play it 100% co-op for the entire playthrough where it'll let you there are areas you have to solo but for the most part as we did on our playthrough you can pick up a friend and play through the entire area 
uh, and then move to the next area and do the same thing to get through the game. I do believe it takes away from some of the story effect. It's a much more fun thing to do with people you know or people that you enjoy talking to and playing with because you get some of these comedic moments and some of these uh, you know, teaching moments where in this playthrough I've played the game a ton of times solo and with people. So for me, I just enjoyed playing with a group and teaching people things they didn't know or just discussing areas like with you philip going over and discussing these areas that you know we specifically have very very detailed memories of the first time we ran into it and then austin who had never got to some of these areas going okay here's the deal you're gonna go in you're gonna do this 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 and this and he'd be like okay stop yeah, tell me step one again <laughs> yeah tell me step one again and then once I do step one, tell me step two. Whereas we're just, you know, so immersed in the game and we just remember all these patterns and different things that you can do in the game that we just want to, you know, tell every bit of it. And uh, I feel like you lose some of the the lore that you get in the game with uh, playing it as a group because we didn't do any of the NPC quest lines or anything like that that can be done in a more solo baseline uh but i believe it's two different experiences if you play it on a solo basis you'll get the dark souls experience you'll get the very hard uh soloing bosses experience you'll get the uh option to do npc quest lines and the struggle of trying to do them in a very specific way that you have no way of knowing unless you look up a guide but when you play it co-op you get the human interaction and it's a completely different experience, whichever way you play the game. That goes for all the Souls games. Uh, but it's a very uh, unique experience that you can do. Uh, you can play the same game in two different ways. And it come out two different games almost entirely as far as experience and what you got you know, from it. Uh, what you felt from it by playing with a group or playing it solo the way the game you know, wanted you to play uh, and get the story on a solo aspect. All right, that was well said. So it sounds like some pretty uh, pretty bright reviews for some Dark Souls. The um, Do you want to go over the uh, easy mode controversy? Oh, man, we've been going for a while, but we can touch on it real quick. So let's, all, everybody at the same time, let's all say out loud, should Dark Souls have an easy mode on three? All right, one, two, three, no. no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, we all have the same opinion, I figured. Uh, one thing that I would like to point out is that Dark Souls does have an easy difficulty, and we've been discussing it this whole time. It's called get some friends together who know how to play the game and have, have them carry you throughout the game. And I guarantee you that the experience will not be as satisfying as you trying to figure it out yourself. But, I mean, it's all whatever you guys want to do. Um, the whole debate about accessibility in games, I, I feel like... Someone opened up my eyes. It was an interview from Colin Moriarty where he he interviewed a, a Paralympian, like the Olympics for uh, para, uh, paraplegics or something like that. Can't remember. I can't remember. I might be even saying it wrong. But the guy was saying that simply uh, simply saying that making games easier is making them more accessible is it's insulting to people who need the accessibility options you know what i mean like just making a game easier doesn't equate to make to doesn't equate to accessibility so and and that kind of opened my eyes to like this guy he likes to play these hard games and he likes to challenge himself it's just that 
uh, some people, you know, like the adaptive controller for the Xbox, like that kind of accessibility is what uh, should be uh, spotlighted. And it shouldn't be something that you, you don't chastise game developers for their vision. You know, you don't make them feel bad for how they imagined this thing should be like they're they're the artists they're creating their art and um it should be the other way around where you just kind of rise of the tomb raider with its different difficulty settings in its mechanics and then you have games like the last of us 2 that has all kinds of different options halo infinite's going to have a whole bunch of different colorblind options and stuff like that like that's stuff that you should you should hype up rather than tear down other people who are wanting to remain true to their vision that's good. Uh, Dark Souls, like in particular, as far as accessibility goes, they've always shown the challenge runs where it's like, I'm going to beat Dark Souls using only seven bananas, you know, and stuff like that. Or I'm going to play the yeah. Donkey Kong bongos. So you can, it's almost more of a controller aspect where you just need to set up the macros you need for someone with limited mobility to be able to play these games. But these games are meant to teach you to overcome and to Oh, this is the first time we've said it this spot, I think, but get good, you know? <laughs> you beat me to it. That's what oh, I was, wow. was going to get around and say. We were doing a Dark Souls podcast. We've been doing it for two hours now, and nobody has said the phrase get good. I almost said it two or three times before, but I just, I it, the, the the sentences went on long enough to where I just completely forgot about it. My my tiny goldfish memory just they just went away. Which I'm a little, that's crazy. I'm anti. I'm anti. Get good. By the way, I feel like that is not the best way to instruct somebody to get good. Is just say like, <laughs> yeah, he would do that to agitate me when we were playing. <laughs> just me and him. He'd be like, why don't you get good? Or John would do that, and I'd be like, Ooh. <laughs> it's not helpful. Well, because this way it's just memeable. It's the Dark Souls memeable thing of just get good. Basically, play the game learn the mechanics but when you say it as get good it's patronizing like oh yeah just get good come on you're just bad at this game but yeah. i don't think it's it, necessarily intended that way from the original but in the memeable aspect it's pretty good to just oh yeah get good you died get good that's what i was i was, I was uh in the middle of a rant because i had something bullshit happened to me and i'm like i never die because the game killed me i always die from bullshit that happened and then philip went dude that's how we all die from the dumb bullshit that wasn't supposed to happen. And I was just like, ah, he's, he's right. Because <laughs> it's like, it's like you don't die because you got 1v1'd by a dragon, right? Or 1v1'd by a drake on the, on the, in the Valley of the Drakes. You died because the drake flew in the air at <laughs> the tip of its wing, tapped you on the shoulder and you ricocheted into, into the oblivion off of the bridge. It's like, that's how you died. Yeah. It- like falling is infuriating in this game. falling that's what i'm talking about falling is worse than curse my final stance but um yeah there's a couple like uh colin moriarty again to mention him he talked about his game uh he talked about the game he helped make a habroxia 2 where uh he's like there is a difficulty option in habroxia 2 where if you if you want the game to be easier then you can just grind out money and upgrade your ship and then the game is easier and if you want the game to be harder you can complete the game without purchasing any upgrades and that makes the game very hard. And I was like, that's an interesting way to think about it. Like, I don't know how I, f- I haven't put too much thought in order to formulate like an actual opinion about it, but that's an interesting way to look at it. Like, that's a perspective I've never really looked at it from. We touched on that a little bit earlier with Dark Souls. Yeah, that that's how I ended up rationalizing co-op being the easy mode. 
Like, I mean, it when you do play co-op, it makes the enemies have, like, 40% more health or something per person or something like that. Like, the game does... It's not like you're fighting the same guy. It's similar in Cuphead and games like that, where the, it, the more people you have, the more healthy the enemies are, the more damage they can absorb before they die. And But the same time, like, it, it is easy, because you have... You have a distraction, and they're not focused on you the entire time, which is a big problem with bosses in Dark Souls. Once they zero in on you, it's very hard, especially with, like, Gwyn, who just zeroes in and just non-stop attacks you with no stamina or stagger ability. Uh, Philip had uh, an exact situation where he's like, this boss is hard, I've never beat her before, and we both beat her on the first try, easy peasy, because it's that... that, that that boss where Uga Booga uh, <laughs> yeah. attacked Guinevere, us. Gwendolyn, uh, the, the moon moon princess. It's like basically the Super Mario 64 hall, uh, infinite stairway, except it's a hallway, and she's running away from you, shooting stuff at you. But if there's two people, then that's, that's one person that basically has free reign to run in a beeline straight at her and then, and then attack her. And so it makes the boss fight way trivial. On Ornstein and Smo is a main example of having an extra person makes the game easy mode because soloing those two without summoning in Solaire, having both of them focus on you is incredibly difficult to dodge both attacks and focus on killing one or the other and then fighting them when they've been supercharged. So yeah, I do believe co-oping takes away some of the difficulty curb, but it makes the game more accessible to people who aren't trying to do a, uh, a level one run with no hit, which we didn't cover this at all, but there is a whole community of people who will stay level one and play Dark Souls uh, 1, 2, 3, Demon Souls, and Sekiro, not level up at all and take no damage, and try to do that in a one playthrough session or broke up into sessions where they'll try to beat all five games without taking any damage, including Bloodborne as well, and they'll do it without leveling once. Incredible. I mean, you put these restrictions on yourself to make the game harder, and I like that about Dark Souls, that you can put those restrictions, or you can play the game as intended, and, you know, make the game less difficult. One really good video also is uh, The Act Man just recently, probably about two months ago, uh, came out with a video talking about the this whole controversy, using Dark Souls as the example, because it seems to, oh, the difficulty in video games for accessibility, uh, it definitely comes up every single time a uh from software game comes out especially if it's souls like usually and it's because of elden ring this time around that's why it bubbled over mm, okay. and which elden ring looks pretty cool oh yeah i can't wait it's like fun um but um uh he made an amazing video and i'm definitely go if i forget anything i'm it, this is the one thing i can't forget is to link the act man's uh video in there about dark souls because he uses one example especially which i even have this experience because uh, it's so early but getting through the undead asylum and then finding Firelink Shrine is like a very this the there it, there's very so, there's solemnly ever any music in this game. But when you get to Firelink Shrine, there's a very soft ambient music that makes you feel safe, yeah. you know, like homely music. And because this is your home, you know, nothing bad ever happens here. Every time you get here, you're safe. It's like the it, you know playing tag. This is the safe tree. You know what I mean? This is where the home base is. Well, multiple times like a lot of places loop around back to firelink and then you're just like you get that music again you're like oh i'm here i'm home I'm back and uh you don't get that experience if the game is if you have uh god mode in, in enabled right right you don't feel that and so uh it, it's it's an awesome video and and i'm definitely gonna link it all right guys well this has been going probably way too long 
So this is where we would uh, read some comments or emails from our listeners at home, but we don't have any today. So please email in at gaminggetherpod at gmail.com. We really like that. Or write in at Twitter. Uh, Twitter at is uh, at gametogetherpod. Yeah, Nave's really active on the Twitter. Uh, He'll get back to you probably faster than I will on the email. All right. Yeah, I... um... I got nothing. Perfect. <laughs> so I want to take this moment to thank John for coming out for this uh, and becoming a new co-op partner for us. Oh, no problem. He's an old co-op partner for us. Uh, right. We're 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 drinking buddies back in the day. We still live pretty close to each other, too. So. All right. Well, you know, we had a lot of fun, John. And uh, hopefully we can have you out for uh, maybe Dark Souls 2 in the future. Oh, <laughs> anything but Dark Souls 2. No, I appreciate it. And I definitely... Uh like to jump on something else y'all at some time in the future cool so nave i see you put overcooked for our next game is that really what you want to play i really want to play overcooked but we can and it's definitely um a uh a different because i i kind of have more fun looking at our discography i don't know what it's called our episode library yeah of uh of episodes when they are so varied like back like i i'm a very eclectic gamer i'm like constantly just playing all kinds of different games uh and so i kind of like to see that reflected in the games that we talk about but we get so you have the ascent and vermitide as well um are you which one are you leaning towards out of those three? oh those are just suggestions i was hoping that you would come in and put something and you boldly put overcooked so now i'm very looking at overcooked yeah if if we don't get overcooked then which overcooked is 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 not that long overcooked too um in particular um it's not that long and I haven't beaten it yet, but we still have Fantasy Star Online 2 at some point one day. And then occasionally we'll get people who want to be on the pod uh, as far as podcasts, other podcasts go. And that is something that I kind of prioritize over our own suggestions. But if we do do Overcooked, it'll go back to the OG formula of just me and Philip, which I kind of am excited to do too. Not that I don't like having guests on, but I think we've had seven guests on in a row right like how many episodes yeah it's been a long time i think it's episode nine was league of legends i'm pretty sure i think ever since then we've had a guest on i if i remember correctly i'm not sure all right but very interesting well let's wrap it up then uh thanks for joining us co-op partners uh remember fire good darkness bad and maybe we can play some games together next time bye (laughs) you can say goodbye here goodbye (laughs) and i just wanted the souls (laughs) 